Merry Christmas once again. This is the second Sunday of Christmas and the final day of the Christmas season. You may have picked that up as we are still singing some songs that are taking our minds back to the Incarnation. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It's also obviously the first Sunday of the calendar year and I want us to begin the year 2020 as a congregation. I guess we really missed out on an opportunity to call a series 2020 Vision right at the beginning of the year, right? That would have been great. I guess it's not too late. We still have approximately 50 chances to to get that in, but I want to begin this year as a congregation by looking at today's reading from the epistles, from one of Paul's letters to encourage us as a community of faith to consider again the blessings of God. We are indeed a blessed people. Now, before you begin getting suspicious, just want to offer this caveat. This is not sort of the 2020, the best is yet to come, or better yet, the blessed is yet to come, right? Let's sort of pray these blessings into existence for the new year. That's not what this is about for For Christians, thinking about the blessings of God is not, at least in my view, it should not be the ever-popular humble brag, right? I'm so blessed. Just so blessed. I've got this. I've got this. Don't forget about that new thing I got. It's not a humble brag, nor is it sort of a spiritual way of highlighting our accomplishments, Thinking about the blessings of God has nothing to do with separating or distinguishing between those with much and those with little. Well, I'm I'm blessed because I've acquired this, or I have this job, or I have this new relationship. I'm blessed because of this tangible thing in my life today. Because what about those experiencing need? What about those suffering loss or illness or those experiencing loneliness? Is their lack in some regard a sign that God is not blessing them? Well, of course not. We, we need to resist that assumption. And so I want to begin 2020 by thinking about the blessings of God, but maybe thinking about an appropriate way to view those blessings theologically. Because... Blessing is, in fact, a biblical concept that's important in the life of every follower of Jesus. And so as we begin another year, we declare that, yes, we are indeed blessed, but we hope to understand that in a way that is healthy. And I think the Apostle Paul provides some helpful guidelines in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, which is our New Testament reading for today, where Paul begins this letter in verse 3 with a lengthy prayer. It's a prayer that actually continues through the entirety of today's text, all the way to verse 14. It is all a prayer, and in the original language this letter was written in, this entire section is a single sentence, just continuous continuous praise to God. It's as though Paul doesn't even stop to take a breath, just a river of worship rushing forward. 
But I think this prayer from Paul also provides for us a beautiful picture of the bigger story. A story in which all of our experiences of faith and hope are set. And so we begin reading today's text in verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be, God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be God. And the God Paul believes is the proper object of such worship and devotion is the God who created the universe and then revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, which is what we have been celebrating for the past 12 days during the Christmas season. Now keep in mind, this letter is being read originally in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very spiritual city in Asia Minor, a, a city that boasted of its temple to the, the important Greek goddess Artemis. It's a city that was not unfamiliar at all with spiritual life. They, they weren't insulated by this view of the world that was closed off entirely to spiritual pursuits. No, not at all. They're very open to the spiritual world, but what Paul seems to be arguing here is that the spiritual search is misguided unless the object of your worship is the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Now, many find here in this ancient liturgical passage a very early Trinitarian formula. We, we can sort of follow that through as we read through the next 10 or 11 verses. We see it as... The God, the, the true God, is the creator of all, redeems humanity through Jesus Christ, and then is still active through the Holy Spirit. So we have that sort of liturgical formula here, but I think we also get in this prayer a bird's-eye view of God's big plan for creation, the big plan for the human race, and who do all of those plans of blessing culminate in? Jesus. You probably could have guessed that, right? All of these plans for the human race are working towards Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center of this narrative. So blessed be God. We, we worship you, God, for you have blessed us in Christ. And before we get into what exactly that blessing consists of. I think it's important to note the general nature of those blessings that Paul mentions right here from the beginning. God has blessed us in Christ and blessed us with spiritual blessings. So there's at least an apparent um, or an implicit contrast here between what Paul is referring to about the blessings in Christ and the very natural, physical blessings that are often highlighted throughout the Old Testament. We could take our minds back to a passage like Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first half of that chapter, and the blessings that are promised to the people of Israel for a reward for their covenant faithfulness, those blessings are primarily material in nature. Things like this, you will have a lot of children. Your harvest will be successful. You will have plenty of livestock. That all sounds great, right? I'm on board with those types of, well, not those specific blessings. I don't really have a lot of land to put a bunch of livestock. But I'm on board with 
those physical, material blessings. That all sounds great. But then Paul comes along and says, well, in Jesus, who is fulfilling those promises of blessings, things have changed just a little bit. Now, according to Christ, physical blessing, material blessing, if we want to consider that, is understood simply in terms of our basic needs being met. Jesus says, don't be anxious about food. Don't be anxious about clothing if you're concerned first and foremost with Christ's rule and his righteousness. He will provide for your needs, and that's all you need to think about. Because really now the focus for followers of Jesus is on what Paul refers to as spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Spiritual blessings that exist in the unseen spiritual world, which is maybe a little less enticing for us. But I think this is where our minds should go when we consider the blessings of God. And in regard to these spiritual blessings, all believers are on equal footing. When we consider material blessings, of course, there is remarkable disparity, which tends to create separate classes even within the body of Christ. But for followers of Jesus, real blessing is found in what is unseen, and we all share in that equally. We continue reading in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, I'm not so interested today as we read this chapter in Ephesians in diving into the debates surrounding issues of election and predestination, which this passage is obviously often used to do. But those are century-old arguments that serious followers of Jesus disagree about, we differ on. I have my opinions. You probably have your opinions on those issues. And we can disagree about it or maybe agree, and we can still get along. That's fine. However, just can't help myself, I will say this uh, about this. <clears throat> I know. I, I, I just can't move on without at least touching on this because this section is often used to prove the position that God chooses individuals for salvation. So from eternity past, God has selected certain individuals upon whom he bestows the ability to respond positively in faith to the person of Jesus Christ. Now clearly there is some of that language that we find even in this passage, language of predestination and election, and admittedly the interplay between Election and free will is a mystery that I don't know that we can adequately explain. I certainly can't explain how exactly free will uh, coordinates with a sovereign God. But at the very least, at least in my view, it is problematic if this is taken to the extreme. If we take the idea of election to mean that 
Well, well, some are predestined. Some are chosen to respond favorably to the life that Christ offers. And others, by virtue of some being chosen to respond favorably, others are predestined or chosen to reject that life and thus are subjected to damnation. So some are elect, some are damned from birth, and God determined that from eternity. God wanted that, and it brings God glory to do that, to exclude some and to save others all for his glory. And I do want to, this morning, gently push back against that view. It does not seem to be, in my view, in line with the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Who, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, a God who is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But again, isn't this what Paul says right here in this passage in Ephesians? But when we read the words of Paul, we must remember that Paul has a Jewish background. And so what he has to say about these topics emanates from a first century Jewish world. So when Paul speaks of election, we must go back to the Old Testament and consider that idea in light of that theme of election there. And when we do, we find that election is one of the primary ways for understanding God's story that is being told throughout our Bible. Israel's faith was built upon the belief that she was God's chosen nation through whom he would reconcile the world to himself and destroy sin's curse. So we all know that that story begins in Genesis chapter 12, as Abraham is called, he called and God promises to make him into a great nation, but a nation that will ultimately bless those who were not called in the same way Abraham was in that moment, a blessing to all the world. That covenant continues to develop with Abraham's offspring. Eventually, they find themselves in captivity in Egypt and are delivered or redeemed out of Egyptian oppression. And in Exodus chapter 19, after their deliverance, but before the Mosaic law is given on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, we read this in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Israel has been chosen by God, but chosen not so that she can simply rejoice in her election and enjoy the benefits of her calling, but that she might actually fulfill a vocation. And the vocation reaches beyond her and her chosenness. 
A big part of her vocation connected to her election is that through Israel, God might bring his kingdom, bring his rule over all of the earth. And so for Paul, Israel's election, Israel's chosenness is working towards and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so just as God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to accomplish his purposes that is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and now the community that has gathered around Christ is the chosen people, the corporate community of believers gathered around Christ, and the church is a part of that original purpose of redemption. This would have been better if the train had chosen a different time for dramatic effect, I think, but <laughs> nonetheless. At its core, the, the, at least a part of the purpose is that humanity might be reconciled to God and that those who are in Christ would be adopted as sons and daughters. Adoption as sons and daughters. We continue reading in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God is in the process throughout this narrative of rescuing his people. This is what Jesus Christ is doing in the incarnation, but our minds, as Paul is retelling the story, taking our minds to the blood of Jesus, telling the story of Christ's crucifixion in this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, N.T. Wright argues that in so doing, Paul is retelling the story of Jesus in light of the ancient story of the Jewish Passover, as the death angel passes over the homes whose doorposts were marked with blood. So you hear these reverberations and even some of the language that is used between these two stories in the Exodus, and now hear what is happening in Jesus. It is all about redemption and deliverance. Redemption and deliverance. God was rescuing his people, and in Jesus Christ is setting into motion this plan to unite all things in Christ and restore all things. And our vocation as the church, our vocation as sons and daughters, is a part of that plan. Let's read the last few verses here. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. 
This was a part of our prayer response today. And as we read the latter half of that section there, it takes our minds to this idea of these spiritual blessings that Paul begins the prayer with. So through each of these sections, Paul is pointing the reader back to the blessings of the Old Testament, which have now been fulfilled in Christ. First, election, election to the purposes of God. Second, redemption, deliverance out of slavery, out of bondage in the work of Christ on the cross. And now, the inheritance which waits for us all, which is sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we have this inheritance coming. An inheritance that, of course, again, is spiritual in nature. Now, to to be honest, it's easy for me to talk about the priority of a spiritual inheritance because I am not getting much of a material inheritance. I, I don't come from a wealthy family. In fact, I I think I already received the majority of my inheritance in the form of a late 70s, early 80s jukebox that plays 45s, you know, little seven-inch vinyls. And I am completely satisfied with that inheritance. That's fine. But it's easy for me to buy into the idea of a, a spiritual inheritance because that's really all I have to look forward to. But I think a lot of times hoping in an inheritance in Christ that we can't see or that we can't touch is often seen as superstitious. What good is something immaterial going to do for me? I want something that I can touch, something that I can see, something that I can actually spend, right? Well, material inheritance was also important in the Jewish faith. A central component of the continued promise given to Abraham is what? Something material. The land of Canaan. I will make you a people and will give you a land that is flowing with milk and honey. But once again, the the blessings that we are promised as the community gathered around Christ, the inheritance we are promised is not something material, not something physical. It is something spiritual in nature. We have an inheritance. We have a guarantee of that inheritance in the Holy Spirit, but it is not something material we possess. Rather, it is new creation that we await, and it's restored relationships that we have with others and with God. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of this inheritance until we finally lay claim to it in its fullness. But in the meantime, we live in this tension of experiencing Christ's redemption and yet longing for a time when heaven and earth and all things therein are united in Christ. We long for that inheritance, but we do so with hope because we have redemption in Christ. And we've been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. And this is our inheritance. This is how the body of Christ understands blessings. And these are blessings that all believers share in. Everybody in this room, regardless of physical circumstances, we share in these blessings. We share in this inheritance. And 
So while we may be blessed by God in material ways, some are blessed by God with health. Some are blessed in the provision of material goods like food, clothing, and shelter. And I think it's appropriate to use the word blessed for that type of provision. But I do want to encourage us to guard against a couple of dangers as we think about material blessings. First of all, when we consider material blessing, we must not slip into the belief that we have received stuff, whatever that is, maybe material possessions or maybe a relationship or maybe our health. We must not slip into the belief that we have received that stuff because God is happier with us than others. It is not because we are good in any way, shape, or form that we ever receive anything that is good. It's not because God is happier with us that we have received blessings. So a proper response when we receive good things is to be grateful, to recognize that God is the source of all good things, Whether we are experiencing much or whether we have little, God is the source of all good things. But his blessings have nothing to do with our behavior or his feelings about us. So that's the first thing. Secondly, Kevin, if you want to come up as we prepare to close. Part of the point that I think Paul is making throughout this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 is to suggest that blessings in our lives or our feeling of being blessed, that it is much, much, much bigger than physical provision. It may include that at times and in different ways. But understanding blessings in terms of material or physical blessings just barely begins to scratch the surface of God's blessings for the community gathered around him. Material blessing is not the primary way we understand God's blessings in our lives. And one of our tasks as as the people of God is to cultivate the ability to resist that temptation to understand God's blessings in terms of what we have, the stuff we have. We want to intentionally form our minds to understand God's blessings in terms of our inheritance as sons and daughters of the Most High. Would you stand this morning? We are going to close by singing a song together, but I want you to hear these words. You are blessed. You are blessed in Christ because God chose to adopt you as a daughter, as a son of his. You are sons and daughters. This is your inheritance, regardless of your bank account, regardless of your material inheritance from your family, which is good news for me. Regardless of your accomplishments, you are blessed. You are blessed because God chose to adopt those who are in Christ as daughters and sons.
So today, we begin another year by rejoicing in that blessing, by taking our minds and anchoring our souls in that reality. I want to say a prayer for you, and then we're going to sing together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your spirit that stirs our hearts. As we read this prayer from Paul, reminding us of the value of the inheritance that we have in you. We pray that that would be our desire, that that would be of utmost importance in our lives, that that would guide everything we do and say. So now we pray, O oh God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.